last um, Wednesday, and I didn't even get through with number one, so I'm going to go there again. We are better together, talking about six things to help create unity in the church. And uh, uh, today I want to start, just a few minutes we have, and these things are really close to me, and the things that I'm sharing with you I have, I have sought to live out in my life. I started life uh, with a chip on my shoulder. Um, my family lived way in the middle of nowhere. We had no neighbors. My best friends were my dogs and cats, so I was somewhat of a loner. Uh, I started school early, age five, skipped a grade in school, age, uh, grade seven, so I'm several years behind all of my classmates. I was 15 years old going into my senior high school class, graduated at age 16 from high school, so that put me behind, you know, emotionally, not mentally, but emotionally and relationally, and uh, just did a lot. So I had a lot of things inside. And you know, when I came to Jesus and the word of God had got inside of me, I found, like he said on the video, I found my value. I found out who I was. I also found out that there were a boatload of insecurities that I had to overcome and the ways that I related to people were skewed and wrong. And uh, I had a chip on my shoulder in many instances towards people. And I came across, the, I'll get to my text in a minute, but I came across this word I was, I was reading the New Testament and it was the word malice in Ephesians 4.30. And the word malice, and, and I didn't know what that word was when I looked it up and I found out that it was the desire for bad things to happen to other people, that I was filled with malice. I'm not proud to tell you this, but I'm telling it for context uh, in my early teens, I got into some pretty, pretty weird stuff, and I made a voodoo doll. Me. I'm, I'm not making this up. And, uh, and I don't know where I got the idea to make it. I'm reading something. And, uh, anyway, I got me some stick pins. <clears throat> I'm just telling you how low I was. And I would stick it on certain portions of the anatomy and call somebody's name. I'm, I'm not making this, and I don't do that anymore, okay? You don't have to be afraid of me, but I'm just telling you, you know, I'm just aware of the other side, okay? And I, I'm aware of attitudes that can be in a person's life. You know, if you're hurt and people hurt you, you know, you, you got some attitudes there you got to deal with. And, and when I came to Jesus, he hit me. And y'all, I can't tell you how many times I wept and wept and I didn't know why. And I'd read the Bible, read the New Testament, read the epistles, the letters written to the church and read about the love of God and read about the need to be kind and loving and caring and long-suffering and patient. And, I, and, and, and when I read it, when I read it, I would weep and I'd say, God, why am, I, why am I crying? Why does this make me cry? And it was as though my tears... My tears were the hardness that was in my heart. That the word of God was a candle and it began to light the hard, waxy, crusty insides of me and begin to melt it until today. When I look at a person, I literally think the best. And that's God, because that's not me. Isn't that awesome? So, you know, if I had that kind of background... People have all kinds of backgrounds, struggles, problems. And, and so you come into a local church and you carry your page of life. You carry your baggage. You pe- carry your background. You, you carry your thoughts, your identity, your way of relating to people. And somehow God places us all in the same family. And he says three words, love one another. And I think that's the hardest thing 
we can ever learn to do. And I've been in Jesus, this is, will be my 40, what, second, six, yeah, 42nd year and uh, in September. And, um, and I really think, you know, uh, a lot of people can quote, you can quote scripture, you can say you got faith that moves mountains like we're saying about and this and that, but really spiritual growth. Spiritual growth parallels our ability to love people that are not like us. And the more spiritual we become, the easier we are to get along with, right? So it's just something to think about. So anyway, we're talking about this. Uh, we are better together. And uh, I started, I've got six things to help create unity in the church. And uh, last week, number one, remember that God is body conscious. We mentioned that every cell in our human body has DNA. And that DNA literally contains the, the map of what you are as a human being. And from the DNA in one cell, they could, if, if we could, you could rebuild the entire human body. It's really incredible. So each cell knows the other cell. So when you come into the family of God, God has put his DNA in us. We are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And so hence he's put his DNA in us and we have a kindredness about us. So, you know, I think about this when I'm on uh, in missions service and I'm in India, Africa, the parts of the world. And, and I can't speak a person's language, but no kidding. I don't know how many times and you may have had similar experiences, but I get around somebody I don't even know, but just being in their presence and, and looking in their face and looking in their eyes, there's something that witnesses with me. That person is a child of God. And it's the DNA we have. Isn't it awesome? So we have a kindredness. We're different skin colors, different nationalities, different ethnicities from different nations. But we all belong to the family of God. Isn't that awesome? And, and our nation's being, I'm saying all this because uh, our nation's being torn apart by division on every scale, politically, racially, economically, in all kinds of ways. People are just as divisive today as I've personally ever seen living in the United States of America. And it's a tool of the devil. I personally think it's a spirit of Antichrist seeking to, seeking to hinder what God is going to do. And you know what? We can counteract that. So the reason I'm talking about this is to do that. So God is body conscious. We mentioned 1 Corinthians 12 last week. Uh, I've got it in my notes. If you'll go to the church app, everything I'm saying is in my notes here. And uh, I changed a little bit of them today. So make sure you go back and look at them. Uh, Number two, we together create an atmosphere. How many know that? And, uh, you know, any room that you're in anywhere, you've heard me say this, uh, a guy named A.P. Gibbs wrote a book entitled Worship in the early 1960s, first Bible school I went to. It's a big, thick book, on best workbook I've ever, best book I've ever read on worship. And, and he said in that book, the atmosphere of any meeting is created by, by the people in attendance. Now, that's absolutely true. So you have a business meeting, you have a professional meeting with your job, with your business, with your skill set, whatever. Uh, or you go into a church, and the moment you enter that room, there is an atmosphere that is created, and you happen to be part of that atmosphere. Or you can go into a home. I've been many times into someone's home. And the moment I open the door, oh, they said, hi, how you doing? Please come in. They're smiling. I walk in the room, and I feel tension. And I never said it, but I thought, hey, there's been a fight in here. <laughs> How many have felt that one? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? You know, it was either husband and wife or often, you know, they're having some skirmish with the kids and, you know, just a little bit of angst going. You can feel that, right? 
So, so in church, you come together as believers. You've had the experiences I, I've had of, of walking into a local assembly somewhere and, and going into the atmosphere there, and you think, hmm. I've had some places I'm thinking, hmm, how long, do, how long is this service? I can't wait to get out because it feels tight. It's rough. I don't belong. I don't feel like I belong. They haven't made me, and there's an atmosphere, see. That's created by the people, Right? So in Victory Church, let's bring it home here. The atmosphere that we have in our services is not created by God. It's created by our relationship with Him and each other. Have you ever heard anybody say it that way? You think, well, this, is, this atmosphere is created by God. No, it's not. created by you. Well, what part do I have to play? Well, if you'll pray, if we'll pray and seek God... And come in, oh God, I've been working all day. I'm sweating my guts out. Life is hard. Got a boatload of problems, but you know what? Cast my cares. Father, manifest your life, your nature, your character, your presence, your visage in this room tonight. In Jesus' name, I join my faith with everybody else there. Do you know you'll be a positive element? You'll be one of those white coals in, in, in your barbecue that are keeping it hot so you can have that nice juicy steak or piece of chicken or, or Sunday I had salmon. If you like salmon. So anyway, uh, just something to think about. We create the atmosphere. Say, I don't like that atmosphere. We'll change it. We can change it. Is it true? Yes or no? So I think we have a good atmosphere here. People have constantly told me over the years that they feel loved, cared for. There's a friendly environment. I don't create that. We do. Is that true? We'll develop that a little further. I mentioned this last week. We create an atmosphere uh, we create a place for God to dwell. Number three, last week, don't let yourself be used like a cancer cell. Um, uh, every human body has radical, free radicals, cancer cells potentially that can, that can do damage, but a healthy body pushes them out. You've got uh, white blood cells, you've got lymph nodes, and you've got, you've got little, little rascals there that just run out the invaders. Aren't you glad you have them? But cancer cells is a, is a human a cell of the human body that has uh, that that an invader has come in and changed the dynamic of that cell, and that cell's been told to do damage to other human cells in that human body and to and to create death in that body. Now that's physically speaking, and we can run that out with our faith. You need, to, you need to do what you need to do physically. You need to eat properly and all, all of that has to play. We do the natural. God puts his super on our natural and we live a supernatural life, right? But if you expect God to do everything, you'll know, do your part. How many know you can have problems? So in the same way, in a similar way, spiritually speaking, you know, we could be a cancer cell in the body of Christ. What is that? A person who creates division? A person who refuses to walk in love, in kindness, in love. A person who uses their words to tear down instead of build up. And we could go on and on and on. So we mentioned last week, don't be used like a cancer cell. Jesus said this, I mentioned this, we said it last week. A kingdom divided by civil wars doomed. A town or family spent, splintered by feuding will fall apart. So that's the challenge, in fact, we have in our nation today. Uh, we, we've had a strong nation for these, several, these couple of hundred, 250 years or whatever. And, uh, but we stand the chance to lose our nation if we don't stay unified. And there are forces seeking to tear us apart, not from without, from within. Rome fell from within, and it was a strong nation for hundreds of years, and we're following that same pattern. Churches are the same way. We, we can be a strong, vibrant part of our community, 
or we can let the enemy come in. So I, I'm not saying anything like this is happening right now. I'm just wanting to be forewarned so we can be forearmed. I just know what's in our culture, and whatever's in culture historically, somebody's let it in the church, and I intend to keep it run out of here. What do you think? So number four, six things. We're talking again about six things that um, uh, help create unity, unity in church life. Number four here is um, the way we treat each other. Now, this is challenging to me. The way we treat each other is the way we treat Jesus himself. And, you know, you know these scriptures, but we need to refresh ourselves and don't forget them. Acts 9, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters to, uh, addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains as he was approaching Damascus on this mission. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now, you know, I read that years ago and you did too. You know, it really astounds me that, that Jesus took it personally when Saul was persecuting his people. And see, that, the Lord brought that home to me. When I first came to the Lord, that was my package I told you about. That's the package from the world that was on my back when I came to Jesus that I had to renew my mind to get rid of. But time and time again, I would have wrong thinking, malice thoughts, negative thoughts about God's people when I came into the first local church that I was a part of with my friends, with the leaders in the church, sometimes with the pastor of the church, sometimes with the teachers in the Bible school I began to attend. And and God over and over again said, what, 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 what are you thinking? What are you doing? Why are you thinking that way? That's not, that person's not responsible to you. They're responsible to me. You're responsible to love them. And the way you treat them is the way you're treating me. Why are you thinking that way about me, Mitch? Why are you talking that way? Why inside? Why is your, why is your inner self-talk going there with that person? You're doing that to me. I, take, I, I don't like that. Stop. And he arrested me over and over you know, I can't tell you how many times my heart was broken by my attitudes and my own thoughts when they were so negative about people that God, imperfect people that God loved. You know what I found out over the years? Over and over and over again, God would send me through test after test after test by placing me in proximity with a person who so did life unlike me, who I so didn't care for in their personality, in their way of thinking, in their way of speaking, in their way of dressing. I'm just thinking, God, you got to do better than that. That's some sorry piece of something, right? He said, whoa, whoa, guess what? We're going to tag you up with them for a long time. And y'all, I've, I've, some, of the, some of the toughest suffering I've had is the suffering of changing me when God put me in proximity with a person that was so unlike me that I didn't like. My first boss, when I came to the Lord, we used to call him Bulldog because I thought he looked like one. So we all called him Bulldog behind his back, and he was a tough rascal. And, uh, and, and you know, God, I, I, I used to beg God, God, please let, me, please let me have another job. I want another job. Please, oh, God, I don't want to backslide, God, you know. And he just basically said to me, hush, I got you where I want you. Salt does no good in the shaker. I'm putting you where it'll benefit you. And I can honestly say, all these years later, honestly, the people that have done the best and the most work in my life are the people that I found it the most difficult to get along with. Sila. 
So you got people on your job, people in your families, extended relatives, family members, people in the church. You're volunteering with somebody, and you don't even want to face them. You don't want to look at them. You know what? You'll sit right there. You'll either fail the test by bailing, which is what a lot of people do today. They get just a little bit of rub, the sandpaper experience. They say, well, I'm out of here, and they never pass the spiritual tests and they fail to grow spiritually. So a lot of people stunt their own spiritual growth by not going through the tests that God allows, the relational tests that temper them and help them. But I'm telling you, some of the greatest people in your life today are the ones you dislike the most. Hmm. Let me keep reading here. Let's see. Matthew 25, uh, 27. Then the uh, righteous ones reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will say, I'll tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're doing it to me. That person I despise, I'm despising Jesus. The person I'm talking about, I'm talking about Jesus. He doesn't take that lightly. That person I don't care for. That person I'm running down in my own thoughts that maybe never come out of my mouth. I tell you, the Lord sees everything we think. And that's why he takes this very person. Number five, think, act, and speak. Unity. Now, this is important. This is an important concept. Uh, Kenneth Hagin, years ago, I uh, went to Rama Bible College in 1980. That dates me. I get it. Nonetheless, I heard, and we stayed in Tulsa for eight years, Susan and I, and it really helped me. It was my apprenticeship in ministry, and I learned a lot. And every opportunity I got, I worked at a local church nearby uh, Rama, and uh, every opportunity I got, I'd go hear Kenneth Hagin. But, of course, we went to school there, and, um, and they would frequent his meetings, and I would listen to his cassette tapes and read all of his books, of course, uh, even before I got to Rama. And, uh, and one thing I heard him say over and over again, and he was talking about spiritual gifts, he said, because he was used in the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, discerning, he would see into the spirit realm, see demons, see you know angels, see Jesus. Jesus appeared to him several times. When I was in the room, we were in the room there. So it's unusual, unusual gifting in a man of God. Nonetheless, um, he would say this. He said, it was, he said he noticed this as he traveled, and he traveled for a number of years in ministry from church to church. And he said, here's what I noticed going to local churches. He said, I prayed the same. I prepared the same. I did the same. Everything about me was the same. But as I went from church to church, I noticed the manifestations of the Spirit were different. And he said, I said, Lord, what is it? I'm doing the same thing. These people love you. They love me. They enjoy my ministry. They enjoy my teaching ministry. Uh, you know, they seem to be a wonderful church. You know, it's just a great place. And, and I said, he said, Lord, what's the difference? The Lord said to him, and here's what he said to us students. He said, uh, he said the atmosphere in the church created by the people determines how much the Holy Spirit can manifest in those meetings. And if there's not unity in that, in that church, then the Holy Spirit's grieved and he'll not manifest in itself the way that he could. How many hear that? So boy, I mean, I heard that. I so, said, wow, you know, God, if you ever let me pastor, I want the place I, I, want the place I minister to uh, be a place of unity. So over the years, these are some scriptures, honestly, I've had them highlighted in all of the Bibles I've ever had. And, uh, and I've read them over and over again, and uh, they have really impacted my life. You'll find in the book of Acts constantly, over and over again, one theme 
the first several chapters of the book of Acts, and there's a tremendous moving of the Holy Spirit. Thousands upon thousands were converted there in Jerusalem, and the church had its uh, infancy there, its beginning there, and over and over again you hear one phrase, with one accord. Because the people were with one accord, God could do something. Listen, I'm going to do this really quickly. It's in the notes. You can download the notes and get them yourself. Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Acts 2.46, so continually, da- continuing daily with one accord. In the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Acts 4.24, so when they heard that, they raised their voices to God with one accord. And the, uh, the disciples were being, uh, uh, were being persecuted and they prayed with one accord. God moved in a tremendous way after that. Acts 4.32, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Another way of expressing the same, one accord. Neither did anyone say that any of those things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Acts 5.12, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done through, uh, among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And then... Uh, this has always grabbed my attention. These people were, were uncouth uh, non-believers in the Old Testament, but there was a power available that God had to thwart, Genesis 11. At one time, the people of the world spoke the same language, used the same words. The people migrated to the east. They found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make brick and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. They said, come let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower uh, the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united. Look, look, he said, the people are united. They all speak the same language. After this, Nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. So we call this the Tower of Babel. Come, let us go down, confuse the people with different languages. We won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world. They stopped building the city. Now, these are, these are people that didn't know the Lord. They only had human energy, human wisdom, human expertise. But God knew the power when a people unify, even if they don't hear know him the power of unity is so tremendous it can take an 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 unsaved person a person that doesn't know God with just human ability human understanding tremendous potential is available in unity if that's true with a person that doesn't know the Lord what could happen if a church unifies today and we have the Holy Spirit in us. You get the idea. Then I've prayed this for years and years and years. So uh, 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this regularly for myself, our church, various groups within the church. That you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you. And that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind. And in the same judgment. Then, I, then Philippians 2, 1 through 4. If there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. 
You don't know what that one phrase has done to my life. Thinking of others. If you've got a root of pride you're dealing with and you want people to think you're something and looking at all your talents and skills and abilities, read that. Think of others as better than yourselves. If you think of others better than yourselves, you know what? You're going to act like they're better than you. And you're going to talk to them like they're better than you. And what we often do is we we, we play ego speak. That is, we want to say what we say to build ourselves up. Somebody says something, we've got one better. You get a group of men together, a guy say, well, let me tell you what happened the other day. Man, I caught the biggest fish. And then another guy says, well, the other day, a couple of months ago, I caught a big, big. And then another guy says, well, I was out hunting and I shot this eight, and then it just keeps escalating. You know, the idea there is, and we all do that, somebody's talking and you're comparing you with them and he said, here, think of others as better than you. How often do we do that? That's interesting, right? Uh, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others. So number six, allow love to help you overlook the flaws and misdeeds of others. This is, this is uh, going to hit it home here. I've got a whole series I'm going to do on love again. And it'll take me a number of Sundays because there's quite a bit of detail when you talk about the love of God and all of the nuances of it. And uh, so I'll come back to that some Sunday morning. Uh, in our future, um, it's important that we not allow offense to take root from our flesh and operate out of offense with anybody, anywhere, at any time. And that's what's going on in America today. People are offended at the smallest things. Have you noticed? Has anybody noticed? See, I'm saying this because these things are out here and somebody's going to let it in unless we're aware. So I'm just letting you know of things that I'm sure you already know. Listen to Ephesians 4. I love this New Living Translation, verses 2 and 3. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. What does that mean? Make allowance for each other's faults. That means when somebody says something you don't like, doesn't compliment you the way you think you need to be complimented or ignores you, doesn't even act like you're in the group. You act like they did everything perfectly. You make allowance for what they didn't do that you thought they should have done. Or maybe they say something blah, 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 all wrong. You just overlook it. You love them. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, be patient, making allowances for, for each other because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. And then it says basically the same thing in Colossians 3, sister chapter. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves means when people see you, you see my black shirt, my white buttons. You see my bald head. You see me. He says, clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy. That means when people see you, there's a person that will love me in spite of me. Tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. When I was young, and I still do it, that verse right there hit me. And I have spent many hours with that verse just saying the words, tender-hearted mercy. Am I a person with tender-hearted mercy towards people? Am I that way towards my boss? A friend, Susan, hmm. 
that other guy that works with me, that guy that lives down the street whose dog poops in my yard. Make allowances for each other and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I I just can't encourage you enough. Get these scriptures. If you'll do do something with them in private, they will change your demeanor in public. I'm not kidding. It's awesome. Um, America's changing so quickly. I've read these scriptures so many times, but Matthew 24, 12, it really does. I I think about it frequently because I see it coming to pass. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, asking him about the time just prior to his second coming. What would the world be like? One of the things that Jesus said, just one, I'm just going to read one verse of it. Verse 12, Matthew 24, has always uh, stuck with me. Weast New Testament says, Jesus said, and because of the prevailing disregard of God's law, the love of the great majority will grow cold. Is that happening today in America? Can we change that? Can we be a catalyst for change? Can we keep that from invading our homes, our relationships, our friendships, our church? I think we can. Matthew 24, 12, New International, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Message paraphrase. For many others, the overwhelming spread of evil will do them in. Nothing left of their love but a mound of ashes. It got all burned up. Well, they got frustrated with people. They used to be tolerant, used to be kind, used to be caring, but now everybody's the same. It's dog eat dog. What of it? And they've given up, and it burned them up. Wow. And then uh, uh, another translation here, um, evil will spread and cause many people to stop loving one another. Wow. So, so my challenge is I don't want that to happen to me. Do you? Do you want to still love when others don't? Do you want to still be compassionate and kind when it seems like nobody else on your, on your staff is or the, the people in your circle are? No, yes, you can be. And so I just want to encourage you with these things. First uh, Peter 4, 8, above all these things, Amplified New Testament, have intense and unfailing love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sin, and I love the Amplified, forgives and disregards the offenses of others. What does that mean to disregard the offenses of others? That means when somebody says or does or had an, has an attitude that's offensive towards you, you act towards them just as though they were perfect, just as though they loved you perfectly, just as though they accepted you. Question mark. Do I do that? That's a challenge, isn't it? Why? And then, mess, I love this message paraphrase, uh, Matthew 5. Close to being done, but not quite. You're familiar, you're familiar with the old written law, Jesus said, love your friend. And it's unwritten companion, hate your enemy. And they said, oh yeah, we can do that. He said, well, I'm changing, that, challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. He's not talking about a feeling. He's talking about something that we do. It's a response pattern that we have regardless of what comes towards us. Watch this. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. 
Then you're working out your true selves, your God-created self. That's what God does. He gives His best, the sun to warm, the rain to nourish, to everyone regardless. The good and bad, the nice and nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, I'm say, what I'm saying is grow up your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Isn't that awesome? I have a lot more to share here. I ran out of time. But you know, you can't go to and get the notes. I just can't, just can't encourage you enough. Y'all, we live in a crass world. It's inhumane. It's not fair. It's self-centered. It's harsh. In many ways, nasty. There's nothing sacred. What are we going to do with all that? What are we going to do with our relationships with others? Are we going to allow the world to so taunt us that we refuse to allow the Holy Spirit and the love that He shed abroad in our heart to come forth? Or, or are we going to challenge our flesh? Are we going to challenge our minds and say, you know what, mind? You're going to have to line up with my spirit because my inner man's telling me to love that person that I so don't like and I so don't care about and I just wish they would leave the face of the earth. But God is telling me to love them. He might be telling you to bake them a cake or take them to good berries or take them and get them a nice meal or do something for them or buy them something from Amazon and send it to their home address. I don't know. I'm just saying we have some tremendous opportunities today to really let people see Jesus. And the thing that I'm challenged with is often the world is sometimes more, the church is more cruel than the world. I I don't like to say that. I have to say that sometimes I've been treated worse by Christians than I have by non-Christians. And I don't frequent bars, but I've talked to people that do. And I, like you, have seen a couple of things on TV where people go into the bar and they're trying to mimic what goes on in culture. But even in a bar, people love each other. And they'll talk about their problems and they'll care about each other. And they'll say, I love you, man. I love you, sis. And they care. But sometimes in the church, we're worse than people that don't know the Lord. We pick, fight, backbite, claw, scratch, and refuse to let the Spirit of God have His way. Now, what would Jesus say if He came back with us doing that? I don't think victory's like that. I'm just saying the world is that way. You know what? I don't want to be that way. How many want to do something different?